great job. Hey, I'm so glad that you're with us today. I'm so thankful for your flexibility. When we arrived this morning, we didn't think we'd be doing church in here. Not as a church camp feel of things. I see Kim Relich here and Kevin Peterson, uh, maybe family camps, something along those lines. We are really glad that you're with us. If you're a visitor and this is your first Sunday with us, we're normally in the big room down that way. We'll be there next week. Several announcements I want to make. Grab your bulletins. Next week's going to be a very special Sunday. We're going to honor Ernie and April Harvey for 20 years of ministry. You should have received a letter this week about your uh, invitation to share the love offering. If you have those envelopes and did not put them in the offering, you can give them to one of the ministers after the service, and we'll get them in the offering slot. There is a chute right out here down the hallway that goes right into our safe. If you want to go ahead and put those in there as well. Next Sunday, you will not want to miss a very special Sunday. Two weeks from today is Golden Anniversary Sunday as we honor all couples who've been married for at least 50 years. And if you fit that category or you know someone that fits that category, don't assume that we know about that couple. Please write their names down and let us get that information. Again, you can give it to one of the ministers after the service. You, you probably saw the beautiful table that was in the uh, hallway right out here. Aaliyah Burton, a member of our church, I know is Aaliyah in here somewhere. Uh, Aaliyah had a dream um, a while ago to put together really a, a prom for adults, to give married couples an opportunity to celebrate marriage, celebrate the goodness that God's blessed us with as husbands and wives. And that event's going to be on March 24th. And if you want more information about that, you can... See her at the table. You can also sign up starting today. I think um, availability is limited. I believe maybe to 60 couples. So I hope that uh, you will take advantage of this awesome opportunity that's going to be on March 24th. And then finally, Kayla, you want to come up for just a minute? Um, we have a very special brand new service that we are launching this Friday night. And if you were at Families at First, you heard a little bit about it. But I'm going to ask Kayla to take 60 to 90 seconds and tell us about Revive which launches this Friday night at 9 o'clock. I expected me to do this. Um, um, some of the college kids came back with passion with a vision um, for a young adults and adult um, service. We're going to be having that Friday night at 9. Um, it's really going to be just spirit-led. We're going to have um, worship, time of prayer, um, time of testimony, and just sharing what's on your heart. So it's really just going to be kind of new. It's going to be different. So we just encourage you to come out Friday at 9 in the Cable Building and just check it out. This Friday night, 9 o'clock, Revive. It's going to be the second Friday of every month. We'd love to see you come out. Last month, we spent the entire month looking at the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And I told you that for the first six to seven months of this year, we're going to be in short sermon series. We're going to be looking at some of the great heroes of the faith through the various months, and this month we're looking at Moses, and Jim did a great job giving us a perspective on Moses, kind of telling us the Moses story. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus, but before we begin this morning, I really need to connect some dots for you from Genesis 50 to the beginning of the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Uh, when Joseph was able to get his father Jacob and his brothers and their family and their legacy to make their way to Egypt, the Bible tells us that 70 in all made the journey to Egypt. And over the course of about 400 years from the time that Joseph died to the time that Moses is born, you see a great shift take place. <laughs> You read the end of the book of Genesis, and man, life is great. They are living life 
large in Egypt. Joseph is a hero, and his family is blessed because of his name, and life couldn't be any better for, for Joseph and his family. It just looks like it's going to be wonderful. Well, in those 400 years of time, several things happen. They grow from a people of about 70 to a people of several hundred thousand. And during that time, the Egyptians realized that these people, the Hebrew people, are, are a, a great commodity for them. And instead of having a great relationship with them, they find themselves being slaves, having to work at the disposal of the Egyptian people. So by the time the book of Exodus begins, it's a new era. There's a new Pharaoh. The Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, doesn't want to know Joseph. And God's people are experiencing a life of oppression. In Exodus chapter 2, we see the birth of Moses. And you can remember Moses' life very easily. It's three 40-year periods of time. His first 40 years, he lived the life of a prince in the palace. Many of you have probably seen the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. It, we, that's much more than what we have in the Bible. But that's the life that Moses had for the first 40 years of his life. Then one day, he sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew. He comes to the Hebrews' defense. He kills the Egyptian. The next day, he goes out. The Hebrews know what have happened. They're telling the story. Moses gets scared. He's on the run. The Pharaoh finds out he wants to kill him. So the second 40 years of Moses' life is kind of spent on the run, fleeing from Pharaoh. He's in Midian. And it's in that time that he, he meets someone, has a wife, has kids. Family starts to develop during that time. Exodus chapter 3, which is where we're going to begin today, is the beginning of Moses' final third of his life, the final 40 years of his life. And it's this part of his life that we are most familiar with. And it's this part of the life that we're going to spend the month of February looking at. So grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, just listen. I'm going to read for you the first nine verses of Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1 starts like this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is, many of you know, holy ground. Verse 6. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this point, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so our story begins today, our narrative begins today, with a very clear command from the Lord. It's coming here in verse 10. The Lord simply says to Moses, Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh 
to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a clear command. God is saying to Moses, you are the one. I'm calling you. Of all the peoples on the earth that I could have picked, I pick you, so go to the Pharaoh. I'm going to be with you. We're going to rescue my people, get them out of Egypt into the promised land. If you're Moses, what are you doing right now? I mean, maybe you're rejoicing. Maybe you're celebrating. Maybe you're realizing that the Lord, your God, has picked you over all the other peoples on the earth for this incredible opportunity, for this great task. But that's not really the, the mindset that Moses had. That's not really the thought process that Moses had. This first part of the message is entitled Excuses, 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 because that's exactly what Moses does. He turns upon one excuse after another. That's reasons why he can't be the man that God is calling him to be. Let's look at these excuses one by one. The first thing that Moses says is, who am I? Who am I? Back to our text. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And have you ever found yourself asking that question? Who am I, God, to serve? Who, who am I, God, to lead? Who am I, God, to share my faith with my co-worker or my neighbor or my parent or my child or my friend? Who am I? That's the first excuse that Moses has, and God answers that excuse. Look at verse 12. He says, I will be with you. This will be the sign that it is I that have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this now, Moses, excuse one, says, who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who you are because I am going to be with you. Excuse number two, Moses doesn't stop right there. Secondly, Moses says, but God, I'm not important enough. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, this is his name. What shall I tell them? Moses is struggling with self-doubt. He doesn't think that he's important enough for such an important task. And yet God is going to answer that concern, that excuse as well. Look at verse 14. Many of you have this verse memorized. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Tell them I am has sent me to you. And for the rest of chapter 3, God, the Lord, gives Moses a history lesson. Let's read this together. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, said to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you. I've seen what's been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. That you and the elders are good. The king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a 
three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels you. So I will stretch out my hand, strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. Come back next week. That's what we're going to study next week. All of these wonders are going to be exposed. We're going to read the text. And after that, he will let you go. Verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman that is past her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses has had two excuses. Number one, who am I? Number two, I'm not important enough. And each time, God had an answer for him. You know what? Maybe if you find yourself in the excuse making category when it comes to the call of the Lord, maybe just maybe if you listen to God's answer to your excuse as well. Well, you would think that right here, that would be enough. And Moses would say, sign me up. I'm ready to go. It's not quite that easy. Moses' third excuse is, hey, God, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? You know, I've been there before, can I tell you? I've been there before, maybe you've been there before, where you feel like you have something important that you want to say, and, and even though we are instruments of God, you want, would anybody really buy it? Would anybody really listen? Would anybody really connect? And Moses is saying, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to have confidence in me. God answers that as well. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Jim did a much better job singing that than I did just reading that right now. This, the Lord said, verse 5, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back in your cloak. So Moses put his hand back into the cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Three excuses, three answers. And the answer is really the same if you're listening. The answer is really the same. God's saying to Moses, don't Sweat the small stuff. Don't go sweat the details. You're going, but I'm going with you. And so you don't have to worry about what my name is. You don't have to worry about how important you are or not. You don't have to worry about if people are going to believe you or not. I'm going with you. That's enough. But Moses has yet another excuse. Number four, Moses says, I'm not good enough. I'm just not good enough. In verse 10, he says to the Lord, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man's mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? 
Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. Every time there's an excuse, God has an answer. You would think after four excuses, that would be enough. It is not, however. <coughs> excuse number five really isn't as much of an excuse as it is just a, a sigh of his heart. He finally says, just send someone else. Verse 13. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. And it's at this that we see the anger of the Lord really begin to rear up. Look, look at verse 14. It says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. His heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak. will teach you what to say. He will speak to the people for you. It will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with him. Finally, after excuse, after excuse, after excuse, after excuse, Moses is ready to be used by God. We know, as I was studying this week and contemplating this message, I realized that Moses isn't the only one who, who falls to the temptation to make excuses and create an identity crisis. If you look at our culture today, our American culture today, you look at our world today, many of us have bought lies that are out there that define one another, that define us. And what I want to do right now is I want to expose four hideous lies that exist in our culture today, they exist in our town today, that we use to define others, that we use to define ourselves. And the first lie is this, that I am defined by my appearance. I'm defined by how I look. See, some of us are tall, some of us are short. Some of us are thin, some of us are the opposite of thin. Some of us dress very fashionably. Some of us are cutting edge. Some of us dress like Ernie. Some of us live in large houses. Some of us live in a park. Well, we're gonna honor it next week. I gotta get in a couple shots this week, okay? Some of us live in mansions. Some of us live in apartments. Some of us live somewhere in between. But the point is, rich or poor, strong or weak, that should never be what we use to define others or define ourselves. And sometimes we're guilty of doing that ourselves. I have a confession. Since Thanksgiving, I've been carrying about an extra five pounds. I have an ideal weight that I want to be at. And, you know, I just, I can't knock those five pounds off. Part of that is I've got an elbow problem. It keeps going right up to my mouth. I just eat like crazy. So this week, I got on the scale Wednesday morning, and I made just a commitment. I'm going to be on the bike Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I'm going to be biking 15 to 20 miles every day, no matter what. And I did it. And even Friday, with that, like, 29-mile-an-hour wind out of the east, I still went out, did 19 and a half miles on Friday, and I felt so good, and I got on the scale this morning, and guess what? I'm not five pounds up. I'm six pounds up now. Just sit, muscle man. It's not muscle man. I promise you, it's not muscle man. Thank you, but it's not. Now the temptation would be to be really depressed because I weigh a little more than I want to, or to be really excited when I weigh a little less than my ideal weight. But 
That's a lie. I'm not defined by my appearance. We're not defined by our, our appearance. That's a hideous lie. There's a second lie that people use, and that is that we're defined by our talents. We're defined by how good we are in something, whether it's athletics, or it's in the classroom, or it's in the workforce, whatever it may be. It's a lie to say, if you're really good at your job, you're better than the person who may not be quite as good as their job. Or if you're the 20-point-a-game scorer on the basketball team, you're better than the 10th man on the basketball team. It's a lie to say that we're defined by our talents. See, not everybody will be able to speak like an Andy Stanley. Not everyone will be able to sing like a Chris Tomlin or a Jim Coops. But we can all use the gifts that God has given us. We should all use the gifts God has given us for his glory. Number three, some would buy the lie that we're defined by others. I remember when I was in sixth grade in Champaign. That's the first time I think I remember that there were some people that were cool people and there were some people that weren't. And I remember all through junior high, Jefferson Middle School, Champaign, Illinois, that battle of trying to be with the cool people. I remember going home and telling my mom, I can't wear my J.C. Penny play pocket jeans anymore. I can't do it. Well, what's wrong? Is there a hole in them? Of course, that'd be cool today if there are holes in them. But, you know, why can't you wear them? Mom, cool people wear Levi's. And I remember for three years doing everything I could to try to get my parents to buy me a pair of Levi's. Guess what happened when they finally bought me a pair of Levi's? They weren't the cool jeans anymore. Something else had become cool instead. It's a lie when we let others define us. And then finally, number four, it's a lie to say that we're defined by our heritage, where we come from, our family background. Growing up in Champaign, I grew up on the southwest side of the corner of Mattis and Windsor. And just by saying that, that defined me in the eyes of many people. I had some friends that, that weren't as fortunate as I was. They weren't as blessed financially as I were, and they lived on the north side. And just by saying that they lived on the north side, that defines some people. How many of us in Clinton have bought the east side or west side definition? It's a lie when we allow ourselves to be defined by our heritage. So, so how do we define ourselves? What is the point of this message this morning? Moses struggled because he wouldn't let go and let God. And yet for many of us, we're guilty of exactly the same infraction. We won't let go and let God. We're hanging on to, to, to preconceived notions. We're hanging on to preconceived definitions that others have placed about us and about others. And the loser is the kingdom of God. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to just share with you some scriptures that have been very helpful for me, reminding me who I am and reminding me who God is. And the first scripture is Exodus 3.14. We read it in our, our narrative earlier today when Moses was struggling with, who am I supposed to tell the people that you are? He simply said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. And here's my point. And I want everyone here to hear this. I don't care if you're five years old. You can get this point. God is God. Greg is Greg. Ken is Kent. Roger is Roger. Tim is Tim. Don't ever forget that truth. God is God. Too many times we want to operate in the God arena. We want to make God-like decisions in many ways. 
never forget the Lord our God is an awesome God. That'd make a great song. Our God is an awesome God. Oh, that is a song. Okay. Second scripture from the New Testament. It's been very helpful for me. Jesus addressed this. When, when people were saying, who are you? Jesus in the Gospel of John has several I am statements. And one of them in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was defining who he was. The difference that a relationship with him can make. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter, one of the, the early disciples who went on to be a great, incredible first century Christian leader, writing to first century Christians living in persecution. Here's what he tells them about who they are. This is relevant for you today. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. And then finally, Mark Woodsky, chairman of our elders, who did the communion and offering today, he spent some time in 1 John chapter 3. Here's how that chapter begins. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Children of God. What a great definition. What a better definition than East side or west side? Heavy, <coughs> rich, poor. Whatever label we might come up with. See, Moses spent so much of the time asking what I believe is really the wrong question. He kept asking the question, who am I? Who are you? And I think the real question for us today is not who are you, but who's are you? To whom do you belong? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And, um, when we woke up today, we didn't think we'd be doing church in a family life center. But it just reminds me, Father, that it doesn't matter whether we're in a beautiful sanctuary with padded pews or a meeting area with padded chairs or if we're outside in the parking lot. It doesn't matter. If we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, you're here. Your Holy Spirit is with us. And so I thank you so much for the difference that a relationship with your son Jesus makes. As we spend our time this month looking at Moses and his life and just uh, the reluctant leader that he was and yet the great leader that he became, I'm just reminded that it wasn't because of his talent. <laughs> It wasn't because of any giftedness. It's because you were with him. You were the difference maker. And as we live our lives in 2012, I'm reminded it doesn't matter how talented or not so talented we are. It doesn't matter how rich or poor, or how successful or unsuccessful we might be. If you're with us, that's all that matters. And so this morning, as we move to our commitment time, I'm just focused on that phrase, children of God. How great it is that your love has been lavished upon us. And I can be called the child of God. We can be called the child of God. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.